0: Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
1: The Adam Shine Podcast. Ah, yes. Episode 74 of the Adam Shine Podcast. And... I am extra fired up for this one. One of my all-time favorite broadcasters, the legendary Sean McDonough from ESPN, fellow WAER Radio Hall of Famer, Syracuse legend Sean McDonough is a featured guest on the Adam Shine podcast. We'll talk to Sean about Tom Brady going back to Foxborough to take on Bill Belichick. We'll talk to him about Boston sports, about the Red Sox, the NHL on ESPN, where he is now going to be the lead play-by-play voice, the art of the big call, the impact and influence of his father. Uh, Sean McDonough is one of my all-time favorite broadcasters and people, and I am thrilled to have him on the podcast. And listen, we had a great week picking games, and we will give you, Bob Stew and I, some games against the spread, as we always do on the podcast. I went 12-4. and 4. In week number three, picking games against the spread. And listen, a couple of teams that I loved with the points in week number three ended up having the biggest statement wins, in my opinion, on a true statement Sunday, week three in the NFL. And if you're an L.A. sports fan, you're absolutely California dreaming. I thought the Rams and the Chargers had the two biggest statement wins in week number three to set up week four and beyond when you start looking at the upside and potential for the two LA football teams. The Rams, as you know, were my pick to win the NFC at the beginning of the year. And I believe that the Rams are going to be playing in the Los Angeles Super Bowl and I picked them to lose in the Super Bowl preseason to the Buffalo Bills, and Buffalo is without question the most talented and most well-rounded team when you look at the AFC. And the LA Rams made a major statement. I mean, that was that was a dream. That was the vision, right? Make the trade for Matthew Stafford and let him air it out, sling it, and Sean McVay's offense take the Offensive playbook to a whole new level. You know, Jared Goff, a good quarterback, he was a double agent last year, turning it over left and right. We screamed Rams to the Super Bowl before the Bucks and the Chiefs played in the Super Bowl after the Rams were able to make the Matthew Stafford deal. This should not be a surprise. Stafford was slinging, la- slinging the football like this for years in Detroit. No one paid attention because it was a rebuilding since 1957, Detroit Lions. Sean McVeigh is a genius. And I think Aaron Donald's the best defensive player who ever has walked the face of the earth. Jalen Ramsey is a star, and I thought the Rams beating the Bucks was a lock. I think how they beat the Bucks noteworthy. I mean, those are the champs with Tom Brady coming to town last week, and I was a real L.A. dream in terms of Hollywood. All the stars were there, and it felt like a real home field advantage where the fans were going nuts when the Rams would make a big play and that Stafford to Cooper Cup combo. It's been the best quarterback-receiver combo in the league to start the season. They were loud on defense for the first time for any of the L.A. teams. Felt like a real tried-and-true home field advantage, and that was great to see. And I'll tell you what, Brandon Stanley and the Chargers did was absolutely remarkable in Kansas City. And I did pick the Chargers to keep it within the number i did think kansas city let me be clear was going to win that game and i was thrilled for the chargers to be wrong there because what brandon staley did you know that's that's a great example of coaching in modern day football that's football that's emotion that's analytics all rolled into one you are not going to beat patrick mahomes in kansas city in the fourth quarter by kicking you're not going to do it and he knew it fourth and four we're gonna go for it instead of the field goal shoot the long field goal you know what there's a penalty fourth and nine hell with it we're gonna go for it because that's how you win the game That and if you think about charger history what could go wrong goes wrong when it matters the most in the fourth quarter i mean just a comedy of of errors a house of horrors historically i love what staley did and i would have defended it even if it didn't work and it worked, and Herbert's Justin Herbert is remarkable. Hit Mike Williams, and that was absolutely sensational, and it was pulsating. Look, the AFC West is an unbelievable division. Chiefs are going to be just fine, even though they do have some real issues on defense. Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey and Reed, I mean, these guys are too good. You know I believe in the Raiders. We interviewed Derek Carr on the podcast before the season started. Denver is absolutely legit. My only question for them before the season was quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater is rocking and rolling. But we said the Chargers were going to make the playoffs. And honestly, they could be even better than I thought. And I love Staley. I love how smart he is. I love how he coaches in game. I love his preparation. I love how he handled the veterans, keeping them in bubble wrap in the preseason, making sure Derwin James was available. If you're a fan of the Rams and the Chargers, you have to be California dreaming. I mean, Coolio was right. Ain't no party like a West Coast party, because a West Coast party don't stop. That was fun to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun watching these teams all season long. Sean McDonough is the featured guest on the Adam Shine podcast, and he joins us next.
0: Free for most subscribers.
1: The featured guest this week on the Adam Shine Podcast, one of my all-time favorite broadcasters and one of my all-time favorite people that I've encountered in my career, the great Sean McDonough is with us. Sean, how are you?
2: Well, after that introduction, how could I be anything other than good? I really appreciate that, Adam. I'm doing great, and uh, as always, a pleasure to speak with you.
1: It's great to have you on the podcast, Sean. And there are so many things I want to talk to you about. And, you know, first and foremost, this is a pretty, as we tape on Wednesday at 2 o'clock Eastern time, this is a pretty special week in New England and Boston sports with Tom Brady going back to New England after two decades of sheer domination. And he goes back as a Super Bowl champ with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In his first year away from Bill Belichick, this is going to be just an anticipated, unbelievable event. What are you expecting from the Boston sports fans coming up on Sunday?
2: Well, I hope they give him a tremendous ovation and reception. You know, that's what he deserves. He's the most player in the history of football, as you just said. The vast majority of that time spent here in New England and in the city of Boston. And he's a great person. You know, I I think he's a terrific guy. Uh, He was definitely an important member of our community beyond his football exploits. And yeah, I just appreciate him both personally and professionally. So I hope he gets the kind of response that he deserves, which is a prolonged and uh, exceptionally loud standing ovation.
1: Yeah, he absolutely deserves it on every single level. And Sean. You have spent, you know, your entire life and career in Boston, affiliated with Boston, you know, living through Boston sports in addition to, obviously, all your national work. I mean, you think about Boston sports. I mean, there have been, you know, gods, legends, icons, you know, from Bill Russell to Larry Bird to Ted Williams to Bobby Orr, among others. Where does someone like Tom Brady rank?
2: Well, to me, he'd probably be number one, and I would think that I would have thought that was blasphemy uh, when I was a kid. Because when you were rolling off the list, I was waiting for Bobby Orr. Because when I was a kid, you know, growing up in the '60s, late '60s, you know, Bobby Orr was the man. I mean, every yeah. kid on our block wanted to be Bobby Orr. People were naming their kids after Bobby Orr. <laughs> and it was the era of the big bad Bruins when they really dominated the Boston sports scene. So, but you know, I, I think. I think Bobby Orr is the greatest hockey player of all time. I can confess to some bias there. But, you know, to me he changed the way the game was played with defensemen joining the rush and being such a huge part of the offense as Bobby Orr was. But you know, I, I think Tom Brady's the greatest football player of all time and I don't even know how you can argue that. I think people could argue that, you know, Mario Lemieux, or Wayne Gretzky or others might have been greater than Bobby Orr. You know, as they said, I would take the Bob Orr side of that and do my best to defend it, but yeah, you know, I think very few people would dispute that Tom Brady is the greatest football player of all time. So, you know, to me, he'd be number one on the list of those many young players that you just mentioned.
1: I would uh, agree with that. And, yeah, without question, he's the greatest football player of all time. Are you surprised, Sean, that he's still doing this and playing at that greatest of all time level at age 44?
2: Not really, just because, you know, A, he said he was going to do it. So the fact that he's doing it doesn't surprise me. He's been pretty direct for a long time that he wanted to play into his mid-40s. And with the way that he takes care of himself, you know, we're all familiar with the, the TB12 methods. matter of fact, I have his book that his people were nice enough to send me when I was doing Monday Night Football, which uh, I should probably pay more attention to and use some of the exercise and nutrition <laughs> tips rather than use it as, you know, the a, a, cup holder basically or a coaster <laughs> um but you know he's he's exceptionally diligent in the way that he takes care of himself as everybody knows so the, and he has a great competitive fire I, you know i've had the pleasure of playing golf with him a couple of times and you know, he's every bit as competitive just playing around to golf with guys like me as he is out there in the football field you know he's he's determined to win at all costs regardless of what the competition is so I'm not surprised. He still has a love for it. He keeps himself in great shape. And, you know, he just continues to add to his already incredible legacy.
1: Speaking of surprises, I'm curious to get your take on the Red Sox this year because I'm genuinely surprised that, you know, they're in the mix for the wild card and how well they've played all year. Now, I think Alex Cora is a gem of a manager, just fantastic. And, you know, I'm never surprised when he does a great job and gets a team to achieve and overachieve i was very concerned about the starting pitching for boston going into the season now nothing's done yet again it's it's wednesday at two eastern and we still have a a long ways to go you know it's going to be a tremendous finish to the baseball season the american league wild card were you surprised by the red sox success this year was there a moment where maybe you thought you know what this team's going to be better than people realize?
2: I was surprised starting out uh, just because they were so bad last year. You know, it was a short season and thank God that it was because it was painful to watch. And as you know, I do some of their games on their radio network. You know, that was the worst Red Sox pitching staff that I can ever remember. And I think statistically it was uh, one of the worst. It was definitely one of the worst of all time for this franchise. So, uh you know, and then they started out losing three at home to Baltimore you thought oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> this is going <laughs> to be a terrible year but you know Alex is a difference maker you know he gets the most out of people he knows how to use the players you know not just in terms of their skill set but you know he creates an atmosphere where everybody is happy and thriving and contributing to a real team atmosphere i, I think the reason I um, was surprised, and I'm less surprised now, is you know I didn't know when the season started how good you know Garrett Whitlock was going to be, or how good uh, Eric Hosmer was going to be in the bullpen, or that you know Nathan Avaldi would be healthy the whole year and pitch like an ace and have a much better year than he had you know the last couple. So. I think, you know, some of the moves that they made in the offseason that didn't seem like they were that big a deal actually turned out to be a pretty big deal. I mean, Kike Hernandez has been, you know, a real spark plug, both at the top of the order and, you know, with his defense on a really dreadful team. If they don't make the playoffs, the the defense is going to be the reason why. That happened again last night. You know, losing to Baltimore with Chris Sale on the mound Mm -hmm. was a little shock to the system. But uh, yeah, they're better than I thought they were going to be, and I definitely think Alex has uh, a lot to do with it. But I also think, you know, Sale coming back, Evaldi being healthy, some of these guys—they added to the the pitching staff being better than I thought they were going to be. Uh, those are probably all the reasons why.
1: I'm so pumped that you're going to be the lead voice of the NHL on ESPN. That that is going to be a a ton of fun, and I, I I'm thrilled for you, and it's it's so well deserved. Take us through that gig and what lies ahead because, you know, you you are so great calling all these different sports. Your hockey is fantastic. How sweet is that for you to be the lead voice of the NHL on ESPN?
2: Well, really sweet, especially since it was, you know, unexpected. We all hoped, we being those of us who have been at ESPN for a while, people like me who have been there long enough to remember you know, when we had it before and, and worked on it before, 16, 17 years ago now, you know, we had all hoped, myself, Steve Levy, John Gross, Linda Cohn, and a lot of other people, you know, behind the scenes, Jim Zeroli, one of our producers who worked on it back then and will work on it again now, Doug Holmes, one of our directors, you know, we had all been hoping that someday it would come back, and, you know, now it's back, and I think you know this is obviously a biased viewpoint app, but it, you know I think it's a great thing for the NHL NBC did a fine job all these years, but you know, we just have broader reach, we have more yep. platforms, we have more hours of you know programming on all these different networks that we can dedicate to the NHL and you know help promote the game, publicize some of these young stars. You call hockey. I don't think the game's ever been better. It's certainly faster, you know I think the players are more skilled. I think some of the rules changes have made it better in recent years, and I think the development of the technology of TV makes it much easier to follow on TV than it used to be. So I'm just really fired up about it. As I said, I grew up in the Bobby Orr and the Bruins when I was a kid, and that was really the first team that I cheered for with all my heart and lived and died with and, you know, always loved doing hockey and the fact that we got it back and they were kind enough to offer me a the opportunity to be the lead play-by-play guy is something that I'm really, really grateful for and very excited about.
1: And it's awesome, and it's so well deserved. And you know, I've always wanted to ask you this, Sean. Do you have a favorite sport to call? I, I personally, I'm obsessed with your baseball. I mean, that that's my, and maybe that's my own bias. I, I still, I'm, I'm a baseball guy at heart. I love John Monday Night Football. Your college basketball is great. College football now, obviously the NHL. Do you have a favorite sport to call?
2: You know, I really don't. It's a great question. I get asked it from time to time, and it probably depends on what season it's in. I mean, we're in the middle of baseball season. I'm having fun doing that. I'd probably say that. You know, there really is uh, nothing better than a good baseball game, especially now that I do so much of it on the radio. You know, it really is a great radio sport. But, you know, a bad baseball game can also be really painful, and they, they need to do something to speed up the game. You know, I'm a huge proponent of the pitch clock. You know, it's a lot of these games are unwatchable. And I say that as someone who loves baseball, you know, college football is fantastic. You know, the atmosphere is unlike anything else. It's one of the reasons I was happy to go back to college football. You know, the, the pageantry, the color, the traditions, just walking into these stadiums, you know, it's, it's unique. And, um, but I'm really fired up about the hockey. You know, i, I Dan Berkeley hired me to do, um, the baseball for channel 38 do the Red Sox games. When I was 25 years old. And, you know, the thing that he said to me a couple of weeks ago when I was waiting to find out about if I was going to get the hockey or not, was he said, I'm the guy who hired you to do major league baseball, but I've always thought hockey was your best sport and the one you enjoy the most. And you know, I really do love doing it. You know, the, just the pace of it, you know, you really can do kind of a radio style call on TV and it's okay as you know, the guys like the great, Mike Emmerich have done for a very long time, did with uh, tremendous distinction. So, um, you know, it's a long-winded answer to your question, but it's really the reason that I love uh, ESPN for all these years is we do have everything. I've had the opportunity to do a lot of different sports. I love the variety of it. I didn't grow up a fan of one particular sport. You know, I grew up wanting to be a play-by-play broadcaster, and it was really just a matter of what's the first opportunity I'm going to have. And lucky for me, I went to Syracuse and, like you, uh, you know, came through WAER, the student radio station, and had the opportunity to do AAA baseball on that station when I was still a student in college. And, you know, by the time I got out of school, I was way ahead of other people around the country who wanted to do the same thing. Because I had done about 400 games, minor league games, one level below Major League Baseball by the time I got out of school. So, you know, I just started out saying I'll take whatever opportunity I get, and I've been fortunate beyond measure that I've had a lot of really great opportunities.
1: You referenced Syracuse, W.A.R., obviously last week I, with Dave Pash and Nick Wright inducted into the W.A.R. Hall of Fame. There are 20 people in the W.A.R. Hall of Fame. You're one of them. And I, I talked about it in my speech, you know, motivated by the Hall of Famers and, you know, living up to that when you walk in and you see the the pictures on the wall, you and Mike Tarico and Marty Glickman and Bob Costas and, and Ian Eagle and you know, Marv Albert. I mean, there's just something so special about it when you walk into that place and... WAR was everything for me, and I, we st- I started the talk show staff, which was what I wanted to get into. I mean, I had the secret. I, I didn't want to be a play-by-play voice in you know, the, the footsteps of everyone that I mentioned. You know, I always talk about AER changing my life and Syracuse changing my life. How would you describe what Syracuse, what WAR meant to you in your incredible career?
2: Oh, well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. First of all, congratulations. And you're certainly uh, every bit deserving of being in that Hall of Fame. And as you said, really a trailblazer in in many ways at the station for what you did in terms of talk radio, kind of being ahead of the curve. Um, And isn't it cool? I mean, when you go there, you know, when I went there, I think every student hopes, you know, I hope someday – Maybe I'll be mentioned in the same list. You know, I, I yeah. probably will never be anywhere close to as good as Marv Albert or Bob Costas or Dick Stockton. But you know, someday when they're rallying off that list, if my name kind of gets mentioned in there toward the end someplace, wouldn't that be awesome? So, <laughs> you know, now when stuff like this happens, you get put in the same Hall of Fame as those guys or whatever. You know, it it really is meaningful because you know, when I went up there, you know, that's what I hope would happen someday. And. You know Syracuse is a was a huge and remains a huge difference maker in my life. I wanted to go to Notre Dame. You know, I was a Irish Catholic kid born in South Boston, Massachusetts who loved the Notre Dame fighting Irish and you know the the best uh I wanted to go there. And one of the best things that happened to me was that I didn't get in. <laughs> and uh you know they told me, "Well, go to Syracuse if you do well, you can transfer in." Well, I went to Syracuse and did well and didn't want to transfer in, you know, cuz it was very clear that Syracuse was the right place for me
1: Sean take us through the impact that Dick McPherson had on you and your career and your time at Syracuse
2: well that was the other important part of Syracuse for me I met some of the most important people I've ever met in my life and he was certainly one Although yeah, I had the chance to be his work study student assistant for the first three and a half years that he was the head coach there at the Harvard of Central New York as I like to call it and mm-hmm. I just learned so much from him, you know, not just about football and being around a great staff that he had back in those days, but more importantly, just how to treat people, you know, and and particularly being such a public person as he was. I mean, Jim Beheim were the two most recognizable people in the community by far, and you know, he just had time for everybody. You know, really was a great example of how people who live in the public eye should handle it and gracefully interact with the people they come in contact with. And, and he became like a second dad to me. And you know, one of the great honors of my life was a few years ago when he passed away when his family asked me to give his eulogy, which is really difficult because I just love the man so much and miss him every day. But he was a really special guy way beyond uh, being a Hall of Fame football coach. Take me
1: through the impact that your dad had on your life and your career and your decision to get into sports casting.
2: Well, we could do a long time on that. You know, I just, I grew up idolizing my dad You know, wanting to be like my dad and not just professionally, but mostly personally. And I would say the same things about my dad. I just said about coach Matt, you know, uh, when he died, the people who ran and owned the Boston garden called me and said, we want to give you the building for his wake and or funeral. Cause we think it's going to be the only place in the city big enough to have. And it wasn't because he was a well-known sports writer. It was because, of the way he lived in the community, just touched so many lives uh, through uh, charity and just through you know, acts of kindness to random strangers, and it was it's really a cool thing to be able to say your dad was the best person you've known. I mean, my dad was as fine a man as I've ever known, him. and um, so uh, and he also obviously influenced me in want to do this. I grew up watching him do his job, seeing how much he enjoyed it. And I got the bug to be a play-by-play broadcaster when I was probably five or six years old. And we went to spring training in Winter Haven, Florida with the Red Sox when my dad was covering them. And we'd be homeschooled down there for a month or a month and a half and get homeschooled in the morning and then go to the ballpark in the afternoon. And my dad would stash us in the, me, because I was the oldest, in the Red Sox radio booth. You know, they were nice enough to let me sit in the back of their booth. And I'd watch legends like Ned Martin and Ken Coleman do their thing and I remember thinking, wow, that's fun. and Not long thereafter, had a little tape recorder and in the living room of our house and called every sporting event that I could off the TV and really knew from that point on that that's what I wanted to do. And my dad was the one who gave me the advice to pursue broadcasting and not writing because he saw in the late 70s that you know, some newspapers were starting to struggle, some cities that had more than one newspaper only had one, and he saw the advent of cable TV and enterprises like ESPN and that Network Either just coming on, or so still on the drawing board, but we're about to come on the air. So he knew there'd be ample opportunity in broadcasting, at least more opportunity, and less in print journalism. So that was among the pieces of great advice that he gave me. But profound influence, and you know, still think about him sitting at my desk, right, looking at a picture of him every day. And uh, you know, he was meaningful uh, beyond measure in my life, and everybody in our family, but to an awful lot of other people too.
1: That's so wonderful, and I love the way you phrased that. You know, one of the things I've always appreciated about your how you go about your play-by-play, Sean, the big call. And you're you're just an incredible play caller, you know, X's and O's, nuts and bolts. I mean, one of the all-time greats. But I think you might be the single greatest, and I've said this before, so I'm not saying this because I'm interviewing you right now, when it comes to the big call in the big moments whether it's college football, whether it's baseball, whether it's basketball, capturing the big moment, what makes you stand out? Does, is it about mindset? Is it preparation? Is it the how you inflect your voice? What makes you so amazing at the big call?
2: Well, first of all, I appreciate that uh, more than I can express because I do think that's a huge part of it. And it's really the reason why, we do it, right? You hope that you wind up in the right place uh, at least a few times where something incredible happens. And one of the things that I love about it, Adam, is it is live. It, it is spontaneous. You don't get a chance to do it over again. So you're like the players or the coaches or the officials. You know, you have to do it in real time. And either you nail it or it's average or you watch you it. So, um, you know, and it's a hard thing to prepare for, you know, to answer your question because, you know, a lot of times you don't know that these things are going to happen you know certainly the the other that Michigan Michigan State football game where Michigan botched the punt you're thinking you know that's highly unlikely that's going to happen and then you're going to sit there and watch one of the wildest most dramatic endings in the history of college football um you know the same thing with plays like uh the Sid Bream scoring the winning run in 92 in the Amazing. NLCS you know that yeah that the play at the play would be within inches, you know, you can't anticipate those things. So I think you don't think about it at all. Like when people ask me, how do you call a big play? I was like, you don't even think about it. It's just instinctive. You know, you, it's happening in front of you and everything that you say and the tone of your voice, the words that you choose, and the inflection of your voice, you know, it should all just come naturally based on the magnitude of what you're watching. So, you know, I'm kind of infamous or famous for my voice cracks and, (laughs) <laughs> you know, at the beginning, when they would occasionally happen, it, it kind of bugged me. But uh, you know, now it doesn't because I just think it's it's a, an honest, visceral reaction to what's taking place in the game in front of me. And I think for some people, it helps them remember some of these plays like that Michigan State play maybe more than they otherwise would have.
1: I think you're right about that. Sean, final question. Monday Night Football, I miss you on the broadcast. I, I love the big moments, yeah, the big calls. Thought you were built for that. You know, I I love how you would call it the officiating when it was poor and and deserved to be criticized. (laughs) I I absolutely love listening to you do that. Do you have any regrets or things you would like to do over? Because, you know, as a viewer, I miss you, frankly, on Monday Night Football.
2: Well, I appreciate it. You know, I'm glad I had the opportunity. You know, it goes back to what we are talking about about Syracuse. You know, when you go there, you hope someday – You'll be on the list. And, you know, when I got Monday Night Football, I was the fifth person to do play by play, I think in 47 or 48 years. And the other four were Keith Jackson, Frank Gifford, Al Michaels, Mike Tirico. I mean, that doesn't get any better to be included in that company. So, uh, but I, you know, when I took it, I called Chris Spielman you know, the same night that I accepted. And I said, you know, I just did Monday Night Football. And I wondered if it's a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the, the only reason I did was my love of college football. You know, I was wow. exceedingly happy doing college football. And, you know, I just talked about all the reasons why I love it. And the two the two are different. And Chris said, yeah, you are crazy. You know, yeah, it's Monday football. You have to take it. Of course you can take it. And I'm very glad that I did. But, uh, you know, it uh, it could have been better. You know, I've talked about this before, uh, not too long ago, in fact. You know, I just think uh, the, the dynamic of it uh, – you know the way it was set up, and I understand why it was set up. Probably wasn't uh, there. It wasn't the best way to accentuate what I do well. And you know, I think college football is the right place for me. So it's I'm glad I'm back in college football, loving every minute of it. You know, Todd Blackledge is as good as they come, and uh, our whole group. I I love working with, and uh, you know, don't mess with happy is an old adage that I really believe in, <laughs> and uh, I'm happy in college football.
1: Wow, you sound I'm going like it. be you.
2: exceedingly happy doing uh, the hockey. You know, I, I think everything happens for a reason. You know, I'm a big believer in that. We talked about, you know, I wanted to go to Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, you know, when I won the, an award in Syracuse, I said, you know, my plan was to – I've always believed God has a plan for your life. My plan was to go to Notre Dame. But then I realized Notre Dame had a plan for my life, which did not involve me going to Notre Dame. <laughs> but but God had a plan for my life and that Syracuse university was the right place for me. You know, Notre Dame is awesome. And, uh, yeah, I just think this is part of the plan. You know, have this opportunity at this stage of my career to do something I really, really love and have the chance to do the Stanley cup final is just going to be amazing. So I consider myself exceedingly blessed to have had this life that I've had and uh, continue to have and, uh, blessed to know people like you
1: sean you're the best and i'll tell you you always gave back to the university took time to talk with the students i mean when i was there from 95 to 99 at ar you were always there always accessible i can't even begin to tell you how much that that was appreciated by me by my classmates and just you meant the world to us and i don't even know if i could properly express how wonderful that was and how great that was for the WAER fraternity. And thank you seriously for everything that you did for me and for us. It's an honor to be in the W A R Hall of Fame with you. Thrilled that you're going to be the voice, the lead voice of the NHL on ESPN. Keep up the outstanding work, my friend, and we'll talk to you again real soon.
2: Well, I appreciate that, Adam. Uh, congratulations again to you, and that's very really nice. You know, I think one of the things that makes Syracuse special, too, is that you know, I think all of us want to give back. You know, People helped us along the way. You know, I was lucky to meet some of the people who came through Syracuse before me who were very helpful to me. You know, I know you're doing that with today's students, and it's, I think it's part of what makes the place special. You know, we want to uh, pass on, especially with as fortunate as we've all been. So well said.
1: Sean, we appreciate it. Talk to you again soon.
2: Thank you, Adam.
3: Adam Adam's Shine, fantasy, fantasy football, football legend. legend.
1: Kind of a mixed bag for fantasy football for me from week number three. I mean, actually, it was a real success story. We won in the kids league after Ezekiel Elliott was able to dominate. And Maya and Theo were absolutely thrilled. And we had the high score this past week. Jolie won her league. She was pumped up about that. And my daily fantasy league, I was I was fantastic. I finished fifth out of out of twenty five. And remember, the top three make the money. And I would have been in the money if CD Lamb wasn't down at the one. I mean, it was that close. It was crazy. But how about this, right? You know, I don't get into the could have, would have, should have on on fantasy. Like as an example, I was I was going to start Josh Allen, and uh, at the at the very last minute. I changed it, and when I say last minute, day before, Saturday to Sunday, and I said, no, I could configure a better lineup with Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, and that worked out brilliantly, and I had a great lineup. But on Sunday morning, I decided to myself, you know what? I'm going to pull Emmanuel Sanders. I had Emmanuel Sanders, Bob, in my lineup, in my lineup, and I pulled him for Darnell (laughs) Mooney. Because I thought Justin Fields is going to hit on, I don't know, a couple of bombs, (laughs) And I thought that Mooney would have three, five catches, maybe 60, 80 yards, realistic numbers based upon Fields' skill set. How dare Matt Nagy ruin everything for me? I'm not even blaming myself. I'm blaming that fraud Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy is the worst. I said he should have been fired after last season. And he has just torpedoed everything for the Chicago Bears in their quarterback position. The whole Andy Dalton QB1 stuff in the offseason, not giving Fields a chance with the Ones, saying he doesn't know what Fields is going to be able to run. He's never played with the Ones. That's on you. Then he doesn't run plays that are going to help and protect his young quarterback who got sacked nine times. He didn't call any rollouts. I mean, the whole thing was a fiasco. And then this week, as we're taping at 2 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday, somebody even made it to An official decision on the quarterback position said earlier in the week that all three guys including nick Foles, are in the mix to start this week i mean are are you kidding me i mean that's that's a disgrace why don't you start rex grossman or why don't you play with 10 men on the field or why don't you have michael jordan come back and bring in the toon squad i mean it is a complete disaster i feel bad for the bears fans i feel terrible for me He ruins, ruins my fantasy football week. Otherwise, it was perfect in terms of the kids' win. You know, I I did have, again, another top-five finish, which was great. You know, 12-4 picking games against the spread. Matt Nagy, as clueless as the day is long, what an embarrassment. What a joke. I feel better now that I got that off my chest. Bob, it's interesting this week when you look at Daily Fantasy... You know, there are a couple of great stacks and great plays, I think, when you look at it. You know, Josh Allen going up against Houston. Obviously, that's that's going to be a popular one, albeit it's going to be one that's that's expensive. You have to believe Mahomes is going to dominate Philly. I think that's going to be a pretty popular one. I think a couple lower dollar ones, so to say. Aaron Rodgers at only 6800 <laughs> going up against the frauds known as the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> I think that Dak Prescott is going to sling it around against Carolina. And I'll tell you, and I'm working on this one, Derek Carr against the Chargers, Ooh. stacking him with Waller and maybe even Ruggs.
3: Well, it's funny, Adam. I mean, we're only three weeks in and you've went against your gut twice. Two times already. I think it is on you a little bit. You can't totally blame Matt Nag. You had the perfect lineup. I really. You gotta do. go with your gut, Adam. So no changes this time. No tinkering on the final day on Sunday before the games kick off. Hey, you nailed the game that I'm looking at, actually, for a stack. Raiders Chargers. Yep. And I actually love Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen in this one. That's gonna be my stack. I think that's going to be a really high-scoring game. I would go with Mike Williams because he's been on fire. He's more expensive than Keenan Allen. I never thought I would utter those words ever on the podcast. Mike Williams is more expensive than Keenan Allen. It is unbelievable the rise of Mike Williams. I like Allen. He's a little bit cheaper. He's 6,800. Williams is 7,200. That's a healthy stack. You know, I've got a lot of the same plays as last week, Adam. Because if it ain't broke, just don't fix it. I keep saying that because it keeps working. Like, I like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire again. He's at 5,400 versus the Eagles. I mean, you saw the Eagles get diced up on the ground against Dallas. The Chiefs are going to have the same success. And I like DeAndre Swift against Chicago. He's 6,200, but he's been awesome this season. And that Bears defense is just okay you know he's going to catch a bunch of passes out of the backfield. Who are you looking at at running back this week, Adam? Well,
1: you nailed a, a couple, Bob. I, I like those uh, those guys a lot. I like Alvin Kamara. He's pricey, but 8400 against the Giants. I think he's going to rock and roll. I had a lot of success last week with Eckler and with Carson. I think they're both good matchups. Jonathan Taylor, you got to figure after the Colts got destroyed. I don't know. I they didn't run him, but you know Miami's know. run defense has been poor. I kind of like Taylor. I don't think I'll play him for the sake of accuracy. Yeah, but I but I do like him as a matchup. Your guys that are a bit lower priced, I think, or you know Edwards-Hilaire makes a ton of sense because he's going up against Philly. There's really no competition. I think he can you know, go for 75-plus yards. I think he could score a touchdown. That's a good one because there are some good wide receivers this week. And, you know, I, I would love to find a way to get Devontae Adams in the lineup. I would love to find a way to get Stephon Diggs in a lineup. You know, Jefferson has been on fire. He's got a tough matchup against the Browns, but I don't think that matters. Ridley, I think, is a great play this week at at the receiver position. I think D.J. Moore... For Carolina going up against the Cowboys I like Rondell Moore who's a bit cheaper this week you know going mm-hmm. up against the Rams I, I think he's a good play um, you know one guy I'm gonna watch and pay attention to the practice reports and pay attention to the commentary Brandon Ayuk, he's at 5,000 Seattle's defense is is a disaster you saw him utilized more in Week Three. There's a guy who I think is a, a stud. Obviously, he's in the, he's been in the doghouse for Kyle Shanahan, but that to me is a bit of a sleeper for Week Number Four.
3: Yeah, I mean that's a good one too, Adam. I like Ayuk also because Debo is just too expensive, and that Seahawks nope. secondary you just mentioned it's not any good. I don't like Stephon Diggs at all, to be honest. I mean, early this season, all defenses have been doing is taking away Stephon Diggs. Allen tore up Washington last week. Diggs didn't do a whole lot. You know, Allen's just been spreading the ball all over the field. I don't like Diggs at that price at all. Devontae Adams got banged up at the end of that game. Going up against the Steelers, that's a little bit of a tougher matchup. I don't necessarily know if I'd like to spend the cheese on Devontae Adams. Adam, I just think going with Cooper Cup again makes too much sense. Yeah, like, he I is did it last unbelievable. Week. Yep. Yeah, he's unbelievable, and he's really not that expensive. And I, I just think he's Stafford's favorite target. And I just don't really like the Cardinals' secondary. Like, if you look at Arizona as a team, the one weakness you can really point to is the secondary. They can get torched through the air. Mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence didn't do a whole lot of that last week. But again, Jacksonville is absolutely horrible. I'd be a little bit worried about that secondary for Arizona. I think that's going to be a shootout type game, which is why I love Cup again. I still like Brendan Cooks. I know Buffalo. It's a horrible matchup. He's just the only show in town in Houston, right? Like he's 6,400. He's got two games over 100 yards. He's caught a touchdown the other game. Brendan Cooks has been targeted 32 times in three games. That's fantastic. He's guaranteed points. I really like him for the price. You know, if I'm looking for some sleepers this week, I like Quez Watkins of the Eagles. He's only 3,200, but the Chiefs can't stop anybody on defense. For 3,200, you know, that would make you believe the guy's been a non-factor this year. He's been really solid. He already has a game over 100 yards receiving. He's a deep ball threat every game. I like him. Do you have any sleepers this week, Adam? Who do you like at tight end?
1: Well, it's interesting. I'm going to go big at tight ends. I'm definitely going to go big at tight end with my goal is to find a way to get Waller in. I just like that matchup. You know, last week, I had a lot of success going with Cincinnati, and I love that, and I nailed it with the Cincinnati defense against Big Ben. Listen, I don't have the same confidence level, (laughs) but... I think I'm going to start the Lions defense. Yes! Against That's Matt what Nagy. I have. 2,200 yes. this week, Bob.
3: That doesn't make any sense. 2,200. It's, it's so low. It's so low. Look what happened to Fields last week. Nine sacks, nine times. Miles Garrett almost had more sacks than Fields had completions. I couldn't agree with you more. I love the Lions' defense. Twenty-two hundred—it's a shot in the dark, but it makes a ton of sense. They have to at least be mediocre, right? I mean, I right? Mean,
1: you would think. I, I think it's going to be the case. I mean, listen, I—I'm so—I have been so obsessed. Uh, the first three weeks of the NFL season have been great. Fantasy has been off the charts. You know, you're—you're you're, you're struggling a little bit on your picks, though. <laughs> you oh, a lot, lot of a lot of you know you're struggling on these picks against the spread. <sighs> I, I don't I I'd say I don't want to brag about my twelve and four <laughs> week, but I'd be a lie. I, I love me, I'm obsessed with me. I want to brag about my twelve and four week. And I mean, you know I settled on Shine On Sports on Friday. I thought the week three spreads were the toughest, and of course I go twelve and four. I haven't I haven't been this excited for a sporting event because that's what it is, an event. With Tom Brady going back to New England. And I I think, look, I think that the Buccaneers and Tom Brady are going to roll in this one. I I think that pregame is going to be amazing. Brady's going to get a a hero's return, a hero's welcome. Fans are going to be so pumped to see him. You know, there are a lot of people who are Brady fans. But then during the game, I think they'll root for the Patriots. That ambiance is going to be like nothing else. You know, what they did in New England for two decades. Greatest dynasty in the history of sports. But I do think that the Buccaneers are a vastly superior team, compared and contrast to the New England Patriots.
3: Yeah, and I'm I think the lock of the century right now is Tampa. I mean, the Patriots' offense is a complete train wreck. I mean, for all the love being heaped upon Mac Jones, I just don't think he's very good. I mean, all of these rookie quarterbacks are struggling for a reason. I mean, they're all still trying to catch up. I mean, Mac just doesn't take any deep shots. I just think Tampa is going to pick them apart, right? And the fact of the matter is, the Patriots aren't going to be able to run the ball against that front. That's not going to help Mac Jones at all. I love Tampa. I think Brady throws four touchdowns in the return. I think the Bucs win in a blowout. Adam, I think the spreads this week are insane, by the way. Insane. There are so insane. many great games on the schedule. My mind is melting. I'll just rattle off a few of these crazy spreads we're looking at. Like, Cleveland minus two at Minnesota. Who the heck knows? I mean, Miami is just a a one-and-a-half point favorite over the Colts. You know, you've got Dallas-Carolina, which I'd love to get into. That game is going to be a big one. Uh, I wish
1: McCaffrey and Horn were healthy.
3: Uh, Uh, If those guys
1: were healthy, I'd have a different take. You know I love Dallas preseason. I think Dallas is you know, top four in the NFC and in the Super Bowl mix. It would be nice if Mike McCarthy can actually manage a game and, and take a look at a clock. I mean, game two with, you know, <laughs> what happened at the end was bad. I think that at the half of, you know, the Monday night game was even worse. I mean, the ref was begging him to call a timeout, and he couldn't do it. I can't wait, Bob. And by the way, I do like Dallas in that game, I wish. And I love Sam Darnold, as you know. And I love Matt and Joe Brady, but... I have I, no McCaffrey, no J.C. Horn. That's that's a killer. I think the the Packers are going to destroy the Steelers. If only oh, yeah. anyone saw this coming with Pittsburgh. Oh, wait, that was me. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is fried. He is cooked. Roethlisberger has lost six of his last eight starts. In that span, he's averaging 6.1 yards per pass attempt. <laughs> oh, he basically has a one-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio. He's just been atrocious this season. He was awful in the win against Buffalo. I mean, this is akin to Willie Mays stumbling in the outfield at Shea Stadium at the end of his career. The O line stinks. The receivers can't catch a cold. Drafting Najee Harris as opposed to an offensive lineman was just negligent. I mean, you can't do that. And I think my guy, Aaron Rodgers, you know, I picked the Packers to win that game. I was right. I think my guy Aaron Rodgers is
3: locked in. Look, if TJ Watt doesn't play, the Steelers are just too one-dimensional. I mean, I'm off the Steelers' bandwagon. I've been the captain of the Steelers' bandwagon for years. You mentioned it, Adam. Ben Roethlisberger's who's tripping over his own feet. The receiving core is banged up. They can't run the ball with Najee. You called everything. You called the offensive line being terrible. And with the injuries, the defense just can't make up for the offense. And Aaron Rodgers at home, he's going to light them up. I don't even think the game's going to be close at all. I think the Packers will win and cover. The last game I'm looking at, Adam, is that that big game on on Monday night, the Raiders and the Chargers. I mean, that is truly an unbelievable game. I just feel like with these teams, you kind of throw everything out the window, right? They play really close games. They play crazy games. It's always something with these two teams. You know, the Chargers win a game over the Chiefs. Two weeks ago, they have everything go wrong against Dallas. you got the Raiders, the only play in shootouts they haven't lost yet. They're a three-and-a-half-point underdog. I like the Raiders as a three-and-a-half-point underdog because I think the game is going to be crazy. I think it is going to be close. I also think L.A. is a home field advantage for the Raiders. And that's not going to help. That's not going to help the Chargers at all. It's going to be all Raider fans. So, yeah, I could see the Raiders winning a close game. How do you feel about this one? Well, I would pick the Raiders with the points. I think the Chargers are better.
1: I'm, I'm still on the fence, leaning on the Chargers to win, but my gut says absolutely take the Raiders with the points. Thank you for listening to another incredible episode of the Adam Shine Podcast. Sean McDonough, one of my all time favorites. That was awesome. Thanks to our listeners on SiriusXM, our listeners on Pandora. Thank you to our listeners on Apple Podcasts and with Stitcher. We record the Adam Shine Podcast all year round, so please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can always catch me every weekday. On my Sirius XM radio show, Shine On Sports, which airs from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern, Sirius XM, Mandog Sports Radio, Channel 82. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. The Adam Shine Podcast is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer of the Adam Shine Podcast, the great Bob Stu. The associate producers, Chris Tyler and Andrew Emmer sound designed by my guy Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM and special thanks to Sirius XM senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting the iconic Steve Cohen.
2: Sirius XM podcasts.